Hey everyone, it's Pastor Andrew with Tilcom Baptist Church Podcast, and I'm glad that you're here with us again today. So this week we are in our second part of our journey to Easter, and of course next week being Easter and yeah, and yesterday being Palm Sunday, we had a really great time, and I uh, chose at the beginning of our service to read the triumphal entry uh, and uh, and to remind ourselves of what Jesus did as people were sing, singing his praises as he's coming down on the donkey and um, and just you know the Pharisees they said you know make these people stop and he says you know in Luke Luke 19 Jesus says if they stop I tell you even the rocks will cry out and I think this week is a great week for remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, but also for praising him, for worshiping him, for giving him glory, just like any other week. But we are reminded of his sacrifice on the cross, and we are going to be uh, celebrating him on Easter Sunday, and of course, taking some time on Good Friday to really let the depth of his sacrifice sink in. And I just pray that you will have a good week of reflecting on Jesus and his sacrifice that he gave for you and me. So before you start listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to read John 14 and or at least have it by you uh, if possible. And if you're listening and read in, in a car, obviously, please don't take your eyes off the road. Um, but I'm really glad that you decided to join us today. And if you have uh, the opportunity live in the Lakewood, Washington area. We're having a Good Friday service this Friday at 7 o'clock, 7 to 8, and we're going to be doing scripture readings and hymns. And so if that is your jam, we'd love to have you. Uh, and if not, I mean, continue listening to our podcast, and I hope you have a happy Easter, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. God bless. Over the last few years, one way that God has helped me to draw near to him is by recognizing how, throughout scripture, he is constantly present in the lives and situations of his followers, how he makes provision of our spiritual, physical, and relational needs possible in a variety of ways, and that he offers protection for our souls. And he even offers it physically when it is within his will. But Part of my awareness of these three aspects of God was also because of the leadership training that I received from a ministry called Presence Point. I think that the characteristics of how God is present, providing, and protecting us are all very relevant to our text today, and not only to our text, but to the entire book of John. See, Jesus, he is the display of God's present, the Word made flesh, tabernacling among us with his glory, amidst his people. In John 14, Jesus promises the disciples an eternal home with him in his Father's house. And then Jesus provides, he provides evidence of his, through his teaching and his signs and wonders about his identity as God's Son so that he can invite people to have faith and trust in him. And this culminates in John 14, 6, as him saying, I am the only way to the Father, the exclusive way. And Jesus is protected by God 
from the schemes of the Jewish leaders to kill him until the proper time for his journey to the cross. And even then, Jesus turns his focus to telling his disciples that they will be comforted and protected by the Holy Spirit who will counsel, advocate, and guide them. So as we turn our focus to these verses in John 14, I believe that the overarching idea seems to be that being with God is the ultimate goal of those who trust in him. This is made possible in eternity because Jesus has prepared the way. And we are going to be able to be with God, right? And that we know that all truth and life are wrapped up in his being. Experiencing God's presence today in our mortal bodies is, is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And Jesus, in this passage, he tells his disciples that they're going to encounter the Holy Spirit. That being that God never leaves his people alone as they persevere to live to bring him glory. So Jesus did this by preparing his followers for life with the Father. And, and Jesus, he shared that the way to eternal life is in the Father, right? And that our final destination is in God's presence for eternity. He says, I am going to prepare a place to you, for you, and that I will go back, I'll come back and bring you to be with me. And Thomas, he's confused, okay? Because, you know, we read earlier before he started singing the triumphal entry, you know, like, uh, the, the reality is that Thomas is like, wait, which way are you going? Because I think I have an idea where I want you to go and how I want you to be my political messiah, how I want you to be this um, king that, that wipes out the Romans. But he, he just expresses some confusion by saying, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that is a really tough passage. Okay? It's tough because Jesus proclaims that there is an exclusive way to heaven, to God. And that is so antithetical to a lot of what our culture and other religions want. You know, they want you know, every way to kind of be a way to God. And, and Jesus says, no, that's not, that's not how it is. And the reality is I love this. I love this quote from theologian F. F. Bruce. He says, "All truth is God's truth, as all life is God's life. But God's truth and God's life are incarnate in Jesus." And really, what that means to me is that is that Jesus is the embodiment of truth and life, and that whatever He says goes right. And and also, you know, we we have this prevailing notion in our culture of well, if it's your truth and it's my truth, we can have different truths. And here's the thing, guys. We don't have different truths when it comes to math or to physics, right? We have some pretty set and clear parameters of how things work. And I hate to say this for you who don't like math, but God created math and physics and all these things that are worth the other. Now, do we find that in the Bible? No, but it's still truth. It's still... It's still, you know, objective that we can find anywhere in the world, right? And, 
And the reality is that the Bible is God's word for every person, every culture, every time. And that Jesus is the culmination of Scripture. He's the one who it all points to. And so we need to be mindful of this prevailing notion that relativism is not possible if truth is bound in the exclusive claims and person of Jesus Christ. It isn't your truth and my truth. And it's not loving to say your truth and my truth. Because one of them is a lie. And if I keep, if you keep going to the to the car dealership or to your repair shop, and and they said to you, well, my truth is that your car needs an oil change. And you're like, oh, I don't think so. Like, that's not what I need. And you keep going back and going back and having the same conversation. Your car breaks down and then you get mad about it. Who are, who are you blame? Yourself or the car dealership? And, and the reality is, is, that, is that we need to remember that if our reality and our life aren't filtered through God and his word and through the person of Jesus, then we're going to be living a lot of lies and living a lot of places of confusion and distortion. Because that's what the devil wants. He wants you to live in, in the darkness and in confusion. But Jesus, thank the Lord, he came, right? And, and he says, you know, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus is the visible, tangible image of the invisible God. Wow. He is, he is here, and he says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip, Philip, Oh man, I'm glad that that my thoughts and questions were not recorded in scripture because I'm sure I'd have some of the same thoughts, questions, and objections that some of the disciples did. Uh, but Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Ooh. And Jesus says, What have we just spent the last three years doing, Philip? You heard things, you've seen things, you're like, just Take all of that and, and recognize that it was the Father that was there, that was present in all those moments, right? And, and then Jesus says in verse 10 through 11, he says this, Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracle themselves. Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him. And the Father inspires Jesus to do every part of his ministry, whatever he says, whatever signs and miracles that he performs. And Jesus says, look at all the evidence. And, you know, John is really big on on talking about the signs and wonders that Jesus does. And, and I think it's a good thing because it's a part of proclaiming his identity. It's part of establishing who Jesus is as the Son of God. And in verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth that anyone who has faith in me, anyone who has faith in me, will, be do, will, be, will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am one of the Father. Now, some of us, you know, this kind of gets 
at a, at a place where we can pick the text apart and say, wait, Jesus did a lot of amazing things. He raised people from the dead. He helped the sick, you know, become well, and all these different things. So if he's saying that I'm going to do greater works than he did, and it's not reflected necessarily in my life or my Christian experience, am I doing something wrong? Is there something that I'm not picking up? And here's the thing. I don't think that the works that Jesus did were just his miracles. He, he did works of service. He did works of love. He did works of humility. And I think that people who get fixated on signs and wonders and miracles and stuff like that are really, honestly, probably more easily deceptive you know, like when, when things that aren't of God happen, you know, that are spiritual. And I think that the reason we don't see a lot of miracles in our society is largely because we have erased God and even the devil to some point from our, from our societal lens and image. And so when God does work in a miraculous way, in, in a way that's moving towards spiritual, against, you know, against the devil's spiritual warfare, we don't recognize it as easily as some places where ancestor worship and all these things that are very dark are happening. And so when God's light does prevail and on the mission field, and people are you know, people are sick who are healed, and there's and there's things that happen, you know, we hear of these great missionary testimonies. I think it's because the awareness of God and his light are what shine through. Not the person who prayed for the sick person. Not you know, like and because because it can be easy to elevate ourselves when God answers our prayer, right? Which is what Jesus he points to next is after you know saying you'll do greater things than me, he says, I will do whatever you ask for in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. There's another, you know, chunk of, of text that makes you kind of feel uncomfortable, right? Because, um, because we want to have our prayers answered, right? But Jesus says that whatever you ask for in my name will be accomplished um, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And let's be honest. Are a lot of our prayers sometimes not about bringing, not about not bringing God the most glory? Like I think sometimes we ask either too little, or we ask for things that are are just not necessarily what God is uh, wanting for us. Because I think when God asks answers prayer, that's a part of a part of our reaction is the maturity as we're growing in Christ. And so if God says yes, praise God. If God says no, praise God. If God says, not yet, well, praise God. Because if your prayer life isn't bringing God glory, isn't, isn't um, you know, working towards you know, living in God's will constantly every day, then it can be easy to see God as kind of this cosmic Santa Claus who, who does our will. And he doesn't. That's not how God works. Because God not only wants to answer prayer for us that glorify him, 
but he wants to do it in the name of Jesus, right? It's what is so powerful here is that is that Jesus is invoking his own name because he's saying, here's who I am. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And so this, this maturity process requires obedience. In verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Love through obedience is a fruit of faith that glorifies God. And I can't say that any more um, efficiently or effectively that if you if you don't if you have love but you don't have obedience you have an immature faith and if you have obedience without love you have an immature faith and so love and obedience are not are, are not separable okay they are inseparable and they go together and it's hard sometimes because I think we've had some bad examples in our lives or maybe uh, in the, even throughout the church of what it looks like to be obedient and what it looks like to love, right? Because there's some people who love without obedience and so they don't use scripture as their guide and they just kind of say, hey, you know, whatever feels right, God will be okay with and endorse. And, but then there's people who have been like, well, you must be obedient to God's word. And they, and they don't communicate and act on the love that that obedience is supposed to come from. So we need to be careful to pair those in our lives. Now, we get into this passage about the Holy Spirit. And I didn't have Cameron read all 27 verses uh, because when, we were, when I was practicing this, I was like, wow, the, the, the um, amount of times it takes to, to read it and then rehear it probably will do something. So I don't want to do that. But here we go into verses 16 through 27. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for... He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obey them, obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. See, Jesus makes this promise of the Holy Spirit forever. And this promise of the Holy Spirit forever is that the Holy Spirit comes to comfort us. To comfort us as our advocate, as the one who guides us into the truth, 
And Jesus wants his disciples to know, I'm not abandoning you. Because in the next 24 hours, Jesus knows that they're going to feel abandoned. Because he's going to go and die. Jesus knows that they are going to feel insecure if they're not, if they haven't already felt insecure of this whole experience. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit reveals and reminds his followers of the teachings that Jesus gave for their obedience. And, and that obedience him comes back to obedience and love, obedience and love. And the reason that the Holy Spirit is revealed to believers and not to the world is that the world doesn't love and obey God. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father in the name of Jesus. You know, I wish that we had more time because I think that John 14 through 17 through, you know, has so much to say on the functions and relationship of the Holy Spirit to God the Father and to the Son and, and vice versa. I just love how packed this is. And imagine you're the disciples with Jesus as he's unveiling all of the stuff that he hadn't talked about before. Right? Talk about theology 101 to a fire hose. And they're having some really, like, really hard times right now. And so to teach somebody something new while, you're, while they're in distress, I think Jesus knew that, it, that they weren't going to retain much of it. But he said, that's okay, because the Holy Spirit is going to come. See, the beauty of Jesus and his message of comfort about who he is and the Holy Spirit is that the end result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is a deep and lasting peace now and in eternity. See, when you get saved, when you have eternal life, that eternal life doesn't just start when you go to heaven. You're full of the eternal life of God. The Holy Spirit makes his dwelling place in you, and he gives you peace. It's not a peace that's shallow. It's not a peace that just is about feeling good. It's that peace that perseveres beyond understanding. Okay? It's that peace that you can go through the reader like the disciples did, you know, they died for their faith in Jesus. And I don't know that they were worried. I know that it might have been uncomfortable and that it was suffering, but I don't know that they went through this and said, well, I'm really worried. No, because the Holy Spirit was there to comfort them. And the Holy Spirit comforts us now, even in our times of greatest distress. And our hearts should not be troubled or afraid, friends, brothers and sisters. Jesus wants your heart to be filled and rested and satisfied by him and his presence that the Holy Spirit reminds us of. See, if we do experience fear and anxiety, we need to lift those up to the Lord and we need to lean on one another to point each other to Christ. And to be honest, there's some really, um, there's some really some things to do as we share what we're anxious about. And that is to listen, to reserve judgment, 
to let people know that you're hearing them, to pray, to be, you know, comforting. But also, if you're experiencing this at a very, um, you know, at a very traumatic time in your life, or you're in a time where there's been a lot of change, like it has for all of us, it might be good to go see a counselor. I'd recommend a Christian counselor, and if you need one, I'm, I have referrals that I can give you. But I just want you to know that, that God is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. And that your heart should not be troubled. Most of the words of Jesus, those are not my words. See, Jesus concludes by declaring in John 14, 28-31, He says, You've heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes, so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Today, we get to rejoice and anticipate in Jesus' second coming, even as we struggle against the rulers and principalities of darkness that are opposed to Jesus and his kingdom. And just remember, let us remember, this is not just wrestling against flesh and blood, though there is an element to that. Okay? If being present with God is the ultimate goal of those who trust in him, then we need to press into the exclusive hope and assurance that Jesus provides as he bridges the gap between the Father and his creation that fell away from him. See, I love this resource. It's from the Navigators. And, and they're breaking down this verse on uh, sin and the gift of God and Romans 3.23 and, and, and we have done sin, right? We have had attitudes and actions that separate us from God, from the beginning, from Adam and Eve. And Jesus, he bridges the gap. He does. He is the one who, if we place our trust in him, gives us access to God. And, and that, that gift of God is eternal life with him. Being with him. And I just it's so important to remember that we can do nothing to get to God. Okay? That being with God requires a trusting, intimate, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's by His grace. Right? It's all by His grace. He didn't earn it. He can't earn it. You'll never be good enough. Right? Here's the thing, so that you got to take that and rely on the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. And I think you can start out by, one, graciously and truthfully sharing the evidence and claims of Jesus' exclusive identity and providing, in providing eternal life with the Father. Right? We need to speak to people about Jesus' exclusive only way to heaven. And we don't do it as a as something that we beat people with. We don't do it as something where we guilt people, because nobody goes into the kingdom of heaven 
uh, because of what we do, right? We know that. We can only share the message with truth and love, and we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do the convicting, to break down those walls. And so if we don't, um, if we don't do it graciously, a lot of times people just continue building up that wall. And it takes a lot more, um, you know, to, to really have them see that life change. Secondly, we need to draw near to God through prayer and to look at the example of Jesus. Jesus did nothing without direction from the Father, without intimacy with the Father. And I, I would posit to say that we do too much without intimacy with God. And, uh, you know, I think that if you have a time in your day that you can turn off everything and you can just be with God and listen and, and take everything that you hear and be able to, uh, be able to look, at, look at it through the lens of Scripture, and that's good because our last point here for application is obedient trust in God through applying the Bible and listening for the Holy Spirit's reminder of truth that convicts our hearts when we need it. Now let me give a word of caution here because I know I know that sometimes people they get into this place where, you know, they they get, hey, you know what, God told me to do this. Did he? Is it consistent? Does it line up with God's word? Because you know, as as a you know, as people who have a leaning that we do as theologically as we do, we get really excited about Jesus and God, and we kind of get a little bit more like, well, the Holy Spirit, yeah, He's God, but he, He's kind of like the person that you put in the backseat of the van because because they're kind of weird and you don't want to talk to them too much because you don't understand, you haven't interacted. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I have seen people misuse the Holy Spirit for their own agenda, and I think that's wrong. But I also think that it's wrong to totally neglect the Holy Spirit and understanding Him and interacting to be reminded that the very presence of God abides in you. It is dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit. And so let's be conscientious to that conviction that comes through God's Word and through the intimacy that we develop with Him in our prayer times and our quiet times. Um, you don't want to exclude, we don't want to exclude God from our quiet times. What would be the point? So I know that was a bit of a rabbit trail. And uh, I promise I won't keep up. But I just want you guys to know with God is our ultimate goal. Uh, you're never, you're not going to outdo anyone and get into the kingdom. And you know, that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to be obedient and we can love and to trust Him through Jesus. And that's how you receive right through God's grace that trusting relationship that we are continuing to grow in each other. So we're going to end in prayer and then we'll have our last song uh, and then we'll be concluded for the day. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you 
for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that you would make your dwelling in us, Lord, that we could go out, we could live out and shine for you, Jesus, and help us, help us to apply what we've heard today. Holy Spirit, convict us where we need to be, shape us how you want us, and Lord, help us, help us to draw into your presence this week as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus that he willingly gave of himself on the cross. I just pray that you would see uh, your love and your truth poured out in this community by all the people here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.